this morning we have Tom Kramer, who is the co-executive of the Los Ranchos Presbytery, who's going to be preaching for us this morning. Thank you, Tom, for being here. Walked with Laguna Presbyterian Church for many years, in fact, as a high school student on the way up to visit my girlfriend who attended Orange Coast College up here. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we come here for worship. And so it seems like another life ago, I suppose it was, but I've been a friend and colleague to uh, your staff for many years. And so I bring you greetings on behalf of the Presbytery of Los Ranchos. We're 46 congregations strong, five new worshiping communities. We're worshiping this weekend in eight different languages. And so it's my joy to be with you this morning. Before we look to our gospel reading, I think it's helpful to place that reading in the context of the resurrection and Pentecost stories. In John chapter 20, the preceding chapter, when the disciples are hiding out in Jerusalem in the days following the crucifixion, Jesus appears to them and he says, peace be with you. And then after that he says, as my father has sent me, so I send you. And yet before he sends them out, I think he does the most important thing of all. He says, well, the text says, he breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And after that, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In my mind, Jesus empowers and commissions his disciples for a new chapter of their lives, one with world-changing implications. But he doesn't just commission them and then leave them alone. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit, an advocate, who will empower and guide them from the inside out so that they might become agents of forgiveness and reconciliation as a way of God's way of restoring creation. If love is, in the, is the name of the game, and I believe it is, Jesus commissions his disciples to care about the things that he cared about and do the things that Jesus taught them to do. But that's not where we find the disciples in John chapter 21. For whatever reason, the disciples have gone back to fishing, to what they're comfortable with, before they ever met Jesus. They're on the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Tiberias, and they've been fishing all night. And yet they haven't caught a thing. So the sun rises, and the risen Lord is standing there on the shore, and he calls out to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they do, they end up catching so many fish, they are unable to haul them in. Well, this isn't the disciples' first fishing trip, nor is it the first miracle they've seen on the waters of Galilee. And so one of the disciples turns to his buddy Peter and says, it's the Lord. True to form, Peter puts on his outer clothing, jumps out of the boat, and swims a hundred yards to shore. Waiting for them on the beach is Jesus, and he has this charcoal fire burning there, and he asks them to bring some of their catch, which he will add to his fish and bread that are already grilling on the fire. 
And so it is after the disciples have had this breakfast with Jesus, this communion of sorts, that we find our sermon passage this morning. Reading from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Let us pray together. God of yesterday, today and tomorrow, be our teacher. Open our ears to your word and transform our wills so that we might follow you with the whole of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember what it was like in the days after I lost my father. He lived such a generous, noble life filled with integrity and kindness. He was such a good dad, too. It wasn't difficult for we seven children to obey him. He was the sort of person who would give the shirt off his back and the shoes off his feet, which made it very difficult for him because he had five sons who grew up to wear the same size clothing as he did. So whenever we found ourselves in a pinch and we didn't have this article or that, we'd go to his closet and take it out. And, you know, he was okay with that until he caught up with us. So the days after we lost him to his battle with cancer, to us it felt like the universe had shifted. He was the sort of person you wanted to follow because you knew if you did, something good was going to come of it. I believe the love of a good parent, whether of adopted children or biological ones, is as deep as any love there is, which is... I the reason why I think Jesus uses familial terms to describe his relationships. God is his father, and the disciples are his adopted children. It's a way of saying, there is no greater love that I can have for you. So when Jesus was about to ascend back to his father, it must have felt like to, to his disciples like they were losing a parent, but not just any parent the best one you could possibly have. 
It's hard to imagine, therefore, what it must have felt like for Peter to be asked by Jesus if he loved him. This encounter intrigues me because the last time we remember Peter standing next to a charcoal fire was when he was in the courtyard of the high priest. While Jesus was being interrogated and beaten without cause, Peter was there warming himself by the charcoal fire because the night was cold. And while he was warming himself, he was asked three times if he was a disciple of Jesus, and each time he denied it. This is the same Peter who, who earlier that night took out a sword and cut off a slave's ear, proving that he was still mired by his old ways of thinking about violence and power. It's the same Peter who said, I will lay down my life for you. And then just moments later, he denied even being Jesus' friend. So here in this encounter on the shore of Galilee, when Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him, it makes me want to cringe. I think of the relationship I had with my own dad and how much I wanted to please him and how utterly devastated I would be if he asked me even once if I loved him. And yet here, it seems like the fire of betrayal has turned into the fire of forgiveness once again. And Peter learns and hears again there's nothing that he can do to outrun God's grace for him. In a way, this encounter is kind of a do-over, isn't it? Three years earlier on the shores of Galilee, Jesus sees Peter tending his nets and says, follow me, and immediately Peter drops his nets and he gets in line. And later, Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter is the first in saying, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, not having the slightest understanding of what he is saying. And now in this encounter, Jesus asks, do you love me? And Peter does as he always does. He answers before he thinks about the deeper meaning of the question that Jesus is actually asking him. And yet Jesus calls impetuous, wavering Peter to follow him. Apparently, Jesus isn't looking for perfect followers and certainly not for followers who love Jesus perfectly. He's looking for ordinary people who are willing to receive God's grace and then share that grace with those around them. I find it fascinating in reading the Gospels that Jesus never commands his, his followers to worship him, but he calls them over and over again to follow him. Did Peter love Jesus? I don't know. Kind of. Maybe. But I don't think that's the point. It's more that Jesus accepts the love that Peter does have for them, for him, and then calls him to a life of feeding his sheep. You see, when it comes to loving Jesus, I'm not sure anybody can know what, what they're really saying when they say that or what they mean when they choose to follow him. How could Peter have imagined the healings he would see, the forgiveness that would unbind people from their guilt and shame, 
and how the powers and the principalities of the world would be toppled by a message of peacemaking and reconciliation. Or even more of a surprise, how could Peter have ever guessed that Jesus would use the likes of him to start the movement that we now call the church? There's no way that Peter could have understood three years earlier the things that Jesus was calling him to be and to do. So likewise, in this last encounter with the risen Lord on the shores of Galilee, Jesus calls Peter to new things that Peter can't possibly understand or imagine. In a matter of months, thousands of people will follow the way of Jesus because of Peter's preaching. He would pray for the sick and paralyzed, and people would stand up, and they would walk, they'd be healed, and God would use Peter to introduce the world's Savior to those outside the Jewish faith, thus extending the way of Christ. See, Peter may have started out as a fisherman, but Jesus called him to fish for people, their hearts, their relationships, their ways of engaging their communities. And by calling Peter to care for his sheep, Jesus nudges Peter one step further on his journey of discipleship. So if you're unclear what it looks like to love Jesus, maybe the best place to start is to feed his sheep. Notice Jesus' first question to Peter is not simply, do you love me? But do you love me more than these? Meaning, Peter's old way of life, his closest friends, his belly full of fish and bread. Peter could have stayed at home with his buddies, and gone fishing, provided for his family, maybe gotten back into a schedule or a routine and Those of you who travel regularly for business know how good it feels when you can be home, even for a few weeks at a time. So Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And when he does, he invites Peter to reflect on the person he was before he met Jesus, and then to imagine the person he would become by choosing to follow Jesus yet again. Peter's old way of life had a lot of attractive qualities to it. But the new way of life to which Jesus was calling him was far richer because it was connected to the source of life and love itself. It would be a world-changing way of life. When I think of Laguna Presbyterian and the moment that you find yourselves in, it feels a little bit like what Peter was facing on the shore of Galilee. You've had a season of strong energy and vitality with a highly respected and long-term pastor. And now you're being called to a new chapter of your journey together. Like the disciples, you're wondering what your future is going to hold. But in my meetings with your transition team, I'm encouraged by their wisdom and their faithfulness as they move into uncharted waters. They're using every tool at their disposal to pray and to discern who you are as a congregation and the unique witness that you feel called to offer to Laguna Beach and indeed the world. There are so many things I appreciate about Laguna Presbyterian. One of them is your commitment to communities and people beyond your own. 
to caring for God's lambs. Whether you know it or not, you have historically been leaders in mission giving and mission action for our entire denomination. In fact, my most formative experiences in global mission have been through partnerships initiated by your church. I learned about the difference between doing mission to and doing mission with through your decades-long partnership with Amextra. As I traveled with Dick and Carol Maxwell to a community outside of Mexico City and with other members of your congregation, I learned about the transformative power of mutuality, that we are all rich and poor, and that all of us have something to give and receive. Those experiences taught me to resist seeing people as givers and receivers, but to see all of us as God's children who need to be fed by the loving hand of God. So I guess you could say that was my first exposure to the difference between godly charity and toxic charity, long before any books, at least that I know of, were written on that subject. And I also invested 17 years in our Presbyterian partnership with a Presbyterian church of East Africa, hosting delegations from there and then also traveling there myself, which again was a partnership that leaders from your church initiated and through which you developed your current partnership with Tamini Children's Home in Kenya. But your efforts to feed God's sheep do not only take place thousands of miles away, but across the street at Susie Q Senior Center and at the Laguna Beach Community Clinic, and quite literally through your support of the Laguna Food Pantry. And perhaps the most prominent way you've cared for God's lambs is through your decades-long commitment to the children and youth of this city building a place where children and young people can grow up hearing God's word and being loved by God's people. I don't know of another congregation in our presbytery that does more outreach than yours, but it is not lost on me or on anyone really that your efforts have come at, a great, at great expense and sacrifice. Indeed, I read into your expressions of faithfulness that you understand following Jesus is costly, and yet you have not shied away from efforts to give and equip and share and serve. Jesus told Peter at the end of the encounter we read this morning that following Jesus would cost him his life, and thus he presented to Peter the paradox of discipleship. To gain your life, you must lose it, and only through losing your life will you gain it. In other words, what the world may understand as sacrifice is not in opposition to the abundant life, but it's intimately linked to it. It is the path to the abundant life because it is the path that Jesus is on. Jesus says to his disciples, my joy, yours. Your joy, complete. So like Peter, we can say three times or a hundred times, 
that we love Jesus. But perhaps the most important thing we can do is keep caring for his lambs and feeding his sheep in all the ways each of us is called to do so. Thankfully, as Jesus did with Peter, Jesus sees into our hearts and accepts our efforts to love. We don't have to be perfect. We just need to put one foot in front of the other as we follow Jesus into the world as unknown and as risky as that may be. So we end this morning as we began, hearing the words of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And above all else, follow me. Amen.